If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Johnny. I am the youth pastor and I oversee the small groups here at Joy Church, but I'm also just a fellow follower of Christ with you in this journey. And we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 6. You ready for it? I'm going to read you like four verses, and then we're going to need some participation. Hopefully you've had your coffee this morning. I know it's a little bit early. It's like 11 something. That's not really that early. But when we get to the Lord's Prayer, we are going to pray it together. We've been looking at this as a church family. If you haven't got one of these cards, they're free. They're just out at the Connect Center or the info table. I'd encourage you to get one of them. It's the, the outline we've been doing for this series um, as we study the Lord's Prayer and asking the Lord Jesus to teach us to pray. But we're going to get to his word, the most important part. Matthew 6, verse 5 says this, and when you pray. Now, that word when is really, really important. Jesus is teaching us that praying to the Christian is just as normal and as natural as breathing to the human. You know, I don't tell you like, hey, tomorrow, if you breathe oxygen, then do such and such thing. Has anybody ever th thought that thought? Like, you wake up in the morning, like, New Year's resolution 2020, breathe more oxygen, right? Now, maybe you're saying more fresh oxygen from outside, but how many of you know, like, you can't make it a few minutes without breathing, right? Um, like, just, I dare you to try it, and we'll see how, no, that's really bad. We'll see how long you make it, right? You can't live without breathing. And for Jesus, and we're going to get into this, like, this was a paradigm shift in my life when I saw this in the life of Jesus, that prayer for the Christian is meant to be as natural as breathing for the human, and not just as natural, but as necessary, as important, that just as this physical body cannot live apart from breath, my spiritual man, my relationship with Christ cannot function apart from prayer. So in Jesus' mind, it was so important to him. It was so normal for him and so natural for him that to follow Jesus was to be a man or woman of prayer that he starts off just saying, when you pray, like, well, Lord, I didn't say I'd pray. Well, yeah, if you're going to follow me, you already signed up to pray. You know, we all, we know none of us read the terms and conditions. Let's be honest. Um, the other day I was signing something kind of scary. And it was like, read the terms and conditions. I'm like, I really should, but it's so long. Like, if you want my firstborn child, it's yours, because i got to get through this really quickly, right? Um, the terms and conditions of following Jesus is for men and women of prayer. So he says, when you pray, he starts out with the things not to do. We must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Here's that word again, but when you, when you, my followers, if you're a follower of Christ, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Now I come to verse 7. And when you pray, there it is again, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. And here are the beautiful words, I think some of my favorite words in all of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. In verse 9, I need your help. Jesus said, pray then like this. Let's say it all together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning, praying the way that Jesus taught us to pray. 
I think a really appropriate way to open is just with some prayer. So Father in heaven, I thank you that God, even in this moment, you are with us. Lord, I thank you that you made us an amazing promise. Lord Jesus, you said that where two or three gather in my name, there I am in their midst. And Lord, you are with us this morning. God, I just pray that our hearts would be open to hear your voice this morning. Lord, would our ears be open that this wouldn't just be a few moments in our day and we move back on to normal life. But Lord, this morning we would behold you in your word and you would do a great work in every one of our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray that every single one of us in this place would be different because we beheld you in your word. So God, if anybody walked in this place, if they don't know you, Jesus, if they don't follow you, I pray that today they would come to know your love, to come to know your mercy, your kindness, and your grace. Lord, for every one of us who do follow you, I pray that you would teach us to pray, God. Lord, we've prayed before, but we know there's so much more to learn, and you can do such a great work in our hearts. So I just pray like Ephesians chapter 1, that Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, you'd open up our eyes, and you'd open up the eyes of our heart to see you rightly, to see you clearly, Lord. Lord, we love you, and we're expectant for all you do this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Now, if you were here last week, you know that we went through kind of a quick study of the life of Jesus. And if there's one thing you could say about Jesus, there's a lot of things. Um, there's a whole book written about it, if you're curious. Um, but I think if there's one thing you could say, it was that Jesus was a man of prayer. I love the book of Luke right now in my Bible reading plan. I'm reading through Luke. And every day I'm kind of in a journaling rut for those of us that journal through the Bible every day because I can't stop thinking about and journaling about the fact that Jesus was always praying. You know, when you look at Jesus' life, the Gospels are just the story of his life. If a biography was written about your life, well, it was one written about his life. Jesus is either always coming from prayer and it says, after praying, he came back to the mountain to teach them. Or after praying, he went to heal them. Or after praying, he did this. Like he's always coming from prayer. Now, if he's not coming from prayer, the book of Luke always shows him actively engaging in prayer. So it says, and while Jesus was praying, this happened. Or while Jesus was praying, his disciples interrupted him. You know, while Jesus was praying, people came to try to trick him. Or like my favorite ones, like while he's praying, his enemies came to try to tempt him and make him say something wrong, right? And once it says, while he's praying, the devil himself comes to tempt him. Like I'm thankful that Satan has never showed up in my bedroom at prayer time. Anybody else? Like, that would not be the best day of prayer. Like, hey, Johnny, how are your devotions this morning? It was pretty good until Satan showed up. You know, it's like, wow, um, I think you need to get that checked out, man. Um, he was always coming from prayer, actively engaging in prayer, or it says he was going to pray. So you're like, okay, Jesus, what is it? You're coming from prayer? You're praying right now? Are you going to pray? Those are the only options in the life of Jesus. It's like life was busy and hectic and frantic. Anybody else feel that? Jesus was, you know, living life like we do, and he was busy. His ministry was growing, and the busier he got, the more he said, guys, I have to get alone to pray. Like, this is so important to me. I have to pray. I must pray. I cannot do what the Father has asked me to do apart from prayer. So we see that Jesus would get up very early. Some of us morning people say, hallelujah. And some of you late night owls say, no, I hate the morning, right? I'm a youth pastor, so I deal all week long with people who hate getting up in the morning, right? Um, Jesus would get up before the sun was up, while it was still dark, to get alone with the Father. Then he'd work all day long, he'd work hard, and it says sometimes he would just spend all night long praying because he was so desperate for God. He was so desperate for his spirit. He was so desperate for his presence that Jesus' whole life was really just one prayer. 
You know, I, I'm kind of a grammar nerd. That I think if Jesus, if he could describe his life, it was like, it was one prayer and he never put a period at the end of that sentence. It was just like a comma. And he put a comma. He said, Father, like, our, our time is just paused. I'm going to go and do the ministry you've asked me to do, but I'll be back, Lord. Like, he never stopped the prayer. It was just his never-ending communication with the Father. And then he'd go and he'd do his life and he'd say, brothers, I have to return back to prayer. And he'd go to prayer and it's just, he just picked up back where it was. And sometimes we get a glimpse into the beautiful, awe-inspiring, incredible prayer life of Jesus. Like sometimes like that comma just resumes in ordinary life. You got to read the Bible to see it. Like it's the best-selling book in all of human history for a reason. It's awesome. You have to read it, guys. Right? I think we do. And so sometimes Jesus is just like living normal life and prayer just explodes out of him. And I love it. Like there's this one time when it's, I'm totally off track, but it's just, how could you not talk about it? It's so good. Like one time his disciples came from ministry and they're seeing signs and wonders and miracles and salvations and the kingdom of God was coming. And like in the middle of all of it, Jesus just like explodes like, Father, thank you. Like, thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for how you're working, and thank you for how you're moving. Jesus' whole life was one just never-ending prayer to the Father. Like, even his last breath on earth was a prayer. Like, I just read this this week, and as Jesus gave his last breath, he said, Father, like for the first time, and actually we know as Christians there ain't no comma at the end of this, there's just a semicolon. Because he goes, Father, like into your hands I commit my spirit. There's going to be like a th three days only I take off prayer, but it's not because um, I'm lazy and sleeping. It's because I'm actually physically dead. And then he'd wake right back up and he'd go right back to praying. Like Jesus' whole life was a prayer. Like for him, it was as normal as breathing in and breathing out. And you know, this isn't just something, you know, yeah, think about when you're at a museum and I'm bad. I got to confess my sins one to another that I may be healed. Like, it says don't touch, and I'm the guy that touches it and feels it, you know? I'm like, hmm, I wonder what this really expensive painting feels like. Like, I got to get my fingers on it. I'm sorry. You can really complain later. Like, take it up with management, I guess. Um, but Jesus' prayer life isn't like the Mona Lisa that you look at from a faraway distance and go, wow, that's amazing. Isn't he awesome? Jesus is always beckoning us to come and pray with him. You know, I was reading this week in my Bible, just my personal devotions, and it says one day Jesus was alone in prayer and his disciples were with him. I was like, hmm, what does that mean? Like, how can you be alone in prayer when your disciples are with you? Like, have you ever been alone with people? I don't know, but there's a way that Jesus could get away from the world by himself. And even though people were, he said, guys, pray with me. Once before Jesus went to the cross, he said, like, the last thing I had to do, if I need strength to face the cross, I have to pray. I have to be with my heavenly Father. And he said, disciples, come and pray with me, but I'm going to go get alone with the Father, but you're still here. He invites you and I into that same relationship of prayer with him. And so we pick up on this story in Matthew chapter 6, which we just read, or in Luke 11. And what's so interesting about Jesus' prayer life is that the only time the disciples or his followers, the ones that were closest to him, the only time they ever stopped him and asked him a question like this was only about prayer. It wasn't about raising the dead. It wasn't about walking on water. You know, it wasn't about multiplying food or all the amazing things that Jesus did. The only time they stopped him and said, Lord, there's one thing we need to learn from you, and that's how to pray. You know why? Because the disciples could see that every good thing in the life of Jesus 
every good thing he does, every good thing about his nature, he is so good, and he's so kind, and he's so patient, and he's so merciful, and he's so loving. Like every good thing about him comes from this relationship he has with the Father through prayer. And if we want to be like him, we have to do what he does. And they stopped him, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, even those who walked side by side, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, had to stop him and ask him to learn to pray. Does anybody here like me, do any of us say, Lord, teach us to pray? Like, Jesus, I look at your life and I behold the way you pray and I feel so inadequate. I feel maybe like the world's worst prayer failure compared to you. Lord, teach me to pray. And I think if we're honest, many of our questions about prayer kind of revolve around we either don't know what to pray for you know, I hear this a lot, maybe in prayer settings, or if I pray with someone, like, hey, how about you open in prayer, or then I'll finish in prayer, whatever. And it's like, well, what do I say? I'm like, well, how about you just start with anything, right? Like, it's our Father, which we'll see in a minute. Like, you could start with like, hi, God, how are you? I hope you're doing awesome. Father, thank you that there's a breath in my lungs, thank you that this heart is beating. God, thank you for this beat. Like, you can start anywhere in prayer with God. But many of us, if we're honest, and I don't even know what to do, like, I get in my room to pray, or I'm, I'm asked to pray for a meal, or any of these times, or I try to have this time alone with God, and you see what Jesus had, and maybe you feel like, I just don't have that. I don't even know what to say. Or we just don't know how to pray. You feel like as a disciple, I don't even know where to start. Like, this feels crazy. Like, I'm just talking to the sky, and it feels like this big empty void. Like, what is this thing called prayer? And if you feel that way, then you're in good company with Jesus, disciples, because they asked him how to pray. You know, I remember um, as a youth pastor, obviously leading youth, we have some amazing stories. It's awesome. It's like, you can write a book filled with all the crazy stories that we experience in the youth ministry. Oh, and I remember this one time we were just in a, in a connect group doing life together. And this, I asked, I was like, hey, he wants to open up in prayer for Bible study. And this young guy goes, hey, I'll pray. I go, okay, dude. And I was like kind of shocked. Like, wow, I'm happy he's actually praying. I've never heard him pray before. And so he starts to pray and he's just like, Lord, I just pray that right now money will rain down on top of us. I just pray that you'd open up the sky and just let runny money start falling all around us, you know? So first I did this. I'm like, is the money going to fall? Like, like, I'm a youth pastor. I could use some of that. And then I'm like, look, I'm like, is he serious or is he joking? I mean, this guy was like all his heart, like, Lord, like right now, just let the heavens open, God, you know? Right? He really thought. And now I am not laughing at a young man's prayer. Like, I think it's amazing we start anywhere. But I think sometimes God could look at our prayers like, I don't know if you're quite getting it, you know? Like, is that really the only purpose of prayer? Like, God is our cosmic Amazon Prime account. We're like, chop, chop, God, you got two days to get my answer here or else I'm complaining, right? Or we just don't know how to pray. You know, I remember when I was probably high school age, if I can remember correctly, and I'd come back from a youth camp, like my heart was burning to pray. I'm like, Lord, like I want to be used by you, and I want to pray, and I want to give my whole life to follow you. So I remember, true story, I think the camp ended on a Friday. So Saturday morning, like I was a teenager, I set my alarm for like 4 a.m., and I jump out of bed. I'm like, yes, I'm going to pray. Like I'm going to be a man of prayer. And I get on my knees, I read the Bible, and all of a sudden, before I know it, I, I wake up. I'm like, what happened? I'm like, no, I slept through my prayer time. And I was like, I was going to be an amazing man of prayer, and I'm already a prayer failure on day one. Like, day one, I, I didn't even make it through day one. I already failed, right? And I just, the more people I meet, the more people I think feel that way. Like, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to get this thing going. I'm a prayer failure. And I'm so thankful that Jesus taught us how to pray. 
I just want to read you a couple quotes because prayer is so important for us as believers. And I pray that God will let us see this this morning. That it's more, it's more important than the breath in our lungs is the prayers that we pray to God. That like if life is important, the eternal life that we have in Jesus and with our Father in prayer. Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Breathing. As it is the business of tailors to make clothes and the business of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. So it is the business of Christians to pray. I just want to read one more by a guy named Samuel Chadwick. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies. He doesn't fear prayerless work. He does not fear prayerless religion. He laughs at all our toil. He mocks all of our wisdom, but the devil trembles when we pray. Lord, teach us to pray this morning. I just pray that you'd help us from your word to learn how to pray like you did Jesus. When Jesus starts to teach us how to pray, he says, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. He starts with two words that kind of might come as a surprise to us. He starts with our Father. You know, prayer doesn't start with our failures. Prayer doesn't start with our weaknesses. You know, most people, myself included, when we come to pray, I think the first thing we feel is like, God, I mess up. God, I'm not, I don't measure up. God, I'm not the man or woman that you want me to be. And I think many times that's where our prayers start. And I won't make you raise your hand, but the more people I meet, like prayer always just starts with how bad we are and how we don't measure up. Now, there is a place for confession, which we'll get to in two weeks in prayer. But I think one of the beautiful things about the way Jesus taught us to pray is that every single time we pray or every single morning when you gather to pray, it starts with our identity in our Father. Like it starts not with my sin or with my failures or with my brokenness, but it starts with the fact that I am a son and I have a heavenly Father who loves me and who cares for me and you are his son or his daughter and he loves you. And every time you pray, it starts there. Like it starts with not my sin or my failure or my weakness. Like it's okay to feel those things, but it starts with God, I am your son. And something so powerful happens when every time we approach God, it starts with a knowledge. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. You know, I love the New Testament says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And I can come and say, Lord, it doesn't matter my feelings or my emotions. God, maybe I feel like a failure. Maybe yesterday I face planted and I feel like the world's worst Christian and I have no reason to come and pray for you, but I come by the blood of Jesus and I am a son of God. And if you know Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. You know, 1 John says it like this, see what kind of love, or the message says, what marvelous love. See the kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. You know, prayer is so beautiful. It's not a duty we have to do. It's a delight we get to experience. 
You know, think about the people you love most on earth. You know, I think about, you know, some friends I have, like we, I went to a conference with a friend a few weeks ago and we talked nonstop for like four days straight. And like at nighttime, there's a hotel, like I had my bed, he had his bed, like talking, 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 good night, but there's a comma, go to sleep, wake up, then to start talking again. You have friends like that? Like four days and I was just like, how are we not running out of stuff to talk about? Like, and then I left like, oh, I'm sad. I have more to talk about. There's more, like I want to just eat more chicken, fried chicken with you, bro. You know? Like when you love someone, you want to be with them. Like you want to spend time with them. You know, I just heard something so powerful. This guy said instead of writing on his calendar, time for prayer, it said time to spend with Jesus. When you don't look at prayer as like this religious thing, and it is religious, or this like, I have to do this. And yes, if you're going to follow Jesus, you do have to do this. But when the posture of your heart is, I get to spend time with my heavenly Father today. Like, that will get you bouncing out of bed before your alarm clock gets off. You know, I have, and I won't tell you what it says, but on my alarm clock, I have some scriptures and things that pop up when I wake up to remind me that when I get up, I get to spend time with my Father in heaven. Like, what's better than that? Like, I I pray while I get my coffees, and coffee and God is a really good combination, right? Thank you, Lord, for coffee. But we come as sons and daughters of God. And then Jesus moves into what do we pray for? Like as I come as a son or I come as a daughter. And here's what we have to catch this morning. And I think if there's one thing I probably feel that, that many people can miss, and if we miss this, prayer will not make sense and we will not pray. We have to get, and we'll get to the scripture in Matthew 6, is that the heart of the Lord's prayer is the glory of God. You know, when you come to pray, like what's the first thing on your heart? And what's the first thing on your mind? And what is the first thing we bring to the Lord the way that Jesus teaches us to pray is a bit different than what we might feel naturally. You know, um, it's the thing that makes non-Christian prayer very different than Christian prayer. And I, this might be a, a confusing topic, but a non-Christian prayer, it starts with self. What do I want? What do I need? What makes me happy? Like, even non-Christians pray, you know? Um, I've been on, I was on an airplane a while ago, and there was really bad turbulence, and there's a girl's like, hold my hand, let's pray! And it's like, you know, her prayers were not really to Jesus. They were just like, but everybody prays in need, right? You can know any non-Christians that pray when they need some help? <laughs> or when they want their, to win the lottery or whatever they're trying to get, you know, free Chick-fil-A for a year? Um... But the thing that makes non-Christian prayer different than Christian prayer is that non-Christian prayer starts with my name be exalted, my kingdom come, my will be done. But Christian prayer is absolutely the reverse of that because the very first thing that comes out of our lips is God, would you let your name be exalted? God, would you let your name be magnified? God, would you let your name be glorified? Now, in our English translation, this word hallowed or hallowed, like, it's, it's an older word that we don't use very often, but they keep it that way because people have been praying this forever and people really love that word. It really is just saying, God, would you let your name be kept holy? Would you let your name be magnified and glorified? Like, God, in this heart, would you let the name of Jesus, the name of God, be the only name that's exalted above every other name? Would you let your kingdom come and your will be done, not my kingdom, not my will? Like, all of our prayers for our needs will come in the beauty of God. See, he says, cast your cares, cast your worries, cast your anxieties, but we do not start there. We start by getting ourselves in the paradigm of what prayer is, and it's giving God glory. Now, I want you to see in Scripture, this is such a crucial part of Scripture. Now, there were literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of references I could have given you. You guys want them? No, you don't probably. It'll take us hours. 
Maybe a few radical ones of you do, but maybe we'll post those later. Um, I just narrowed it down to a few, and it was very difficult to narrow them down. I want to briefly read you that from Genesis to Revelation, we see that we were created for the glory of God. That God's glory, honoring Him, glorifying Him, magnifying and making much of Him is literally the reason we exist. You know, if you ask yourself, like, why do I exist as a human being? Like, why am I on this planet? You know, if you think about it, like, what's the answer you give? Like, why are you here? But we are created by our Creator to give Him glory. And if you know the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they ask this question, what is the chief end of man, or why does mankind exist? And it says, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Like, we exist. Like, the reason I have breath in these lungs and a beating heart and a body, the reason I'm on planet Earth is to glorify God. Now, this goes directly against what the world tells us. It says, you exist to make yourself happy or to fulfill your pleasures, but it's right in line with scriptural teaching. So I'm just going to fly. God chose his people for his glory. It talks about that before even the foundation of the world, that God chose us to the praise of his glory. God created us for his glory. It says, bring my sons and daughters from afar, those whom I created for my glory in Isaiah 43, 6-7. God called Israel for his glory. He rescued them for his glory. He restored them for his glory. You know, that's a brief picture of the Old Testament. We get to the New Testament. Jesus sought the glory of his Father in all that he did, John 7. Jesus told us to do good works for God's glory. Because when you do good works, let people see him so that they will give glory to the Father. Jesus said that even answering our prayer was a means of glorifying God. Jesus endured even the cross, his final hours, for God's glory. God forgives our sin for his glory. Jesus receives us into his fellowship for his own glory. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus the Son, in John 16. God instructs us that literally everything in the universe, everything, like if you were a junior higher, you'd be like, well, what about McDonald's? Yes. And what about this? Yes. Everything exists for the glory of God. This is what 1 Corinthians 10 says. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God tells us to serve each other in a way that glorifies him. Jesus fills us with fruits of righteousness for God's glory. That even the wrath of God is poured out to show God's glory. There's a man in the New Testament named Herod who refuses to give glory to God and takes glory for himself. And it says God killed him because he would not glorify God. Jesus is coming again for God's glory. Jesus' ultimate aim, his desire for us is that we would see and enjoy the glory of God. God's plan, this is beautiful. God's plan is to fill the whole earth with his glory. Like every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every person on the planet will one day declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what will happen? The whole earth will be filled with his glory for the wrath of God, or the earth. Whoops, <laughs> I'm reading one above it that's really different than that. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Everything in human history will rebound for the glory of God, and last but not least, in the new Jerusalem, in heaven, like where this whole thing is going, you and I have a brief moment on this planet. The Bible says it's like a breath. That one minute you're here, the next minute you're gone, and one day you will spend eternity somewhere. But for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, when we are in heaven, literally the glory of God, Jesus Christ himself becomes the sun. There's no sun in heaven. It's God's glory. 
And I hope that we can see from the Bible that literally you and I exist to give God glory. All throughout Scripture, there are so many more that the church exists, that we would declare his name among the nations for his glory, that we exist our daily lives, even the normal stuff. You know, don't hear me saying, oh, all the spiritual stuff when we do it in church. No, the point of all of this, it's like when you get up and you go to work, it's for God's glory. When you love your family, it's for God's glory. When you have an opportunity to cheat or to lie and dishonor God, you are honest to your own fault for God's glory. Like when you see someone that's hungry and you feed them, it's for God's glory. When you see someone who's sick and you take care of them, it's for God's glory. Like when you see someone who the world hates and rejects and you show them kindness, why? For God's glory. Like you begin to see that the reason I exist, like everything, I live and I breathe for the glory of God. Even the universe itself exists for God's glory. You know, I am not a scientist, but I love to read about the galaxies and the stars and the solar systems and the billions upon billions upon billions of planets and stars and galaxies that are like more infinite than you could ever imagine. And out of all of that, like only one planet is inhabited by human beings. It's like the absolute extravagance of God. And you look at that and you go like, why? Why, why did God like waste so much material, right? Like why would he have to create billions upon billions upon billions of galaxies? Like that's God's way of showing off and bragging so that we would see it and go, oh my goodness. Like, oh my you. Like the heavens declare the glory of God. Like every morning, I love the sunrise. And I'm like, if I drive to work or to prayer, I like, I look at it and every day I just go, God, you're glorious. Like God, even in the sunrise, I see you. Like you're holding the world together. You're holding the universe in your hands. And the only reason that sun's coming up is to show that you're glorious as the worship team comes up. So how does this have anything to do with prayer? Because when we really believe that we were created to honor God and to glorify God. When we really believe that the universe was created, the world was created, every human being on the planet was created to give God glory, we come to this harsh reality that many, many, many people are not giving God glory. We come to this harsh reality that even our own hearts and our own lives, if we're honest, many times they do not cry, God be glorified. And I'm talking about me. Like when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I start with the biggest sinner I know on planet Earth, and it's this guy right here. And every day it's coming and it's saying, God, I was created for your glory. Lord, the reason I exist, the reason I have breath in these lungs, the reason I'm on this planet is because you created me for yourself. That just like Adam and Eve in the garden would walk together with God, and they had a relationship with God and communion with God before sin, they had perfect fellowship with God. To what end? To honor Him and to love Him, to make much of Him. Like that was why we were created and sin came and really messed everything up. Like this side of Eden, anybody know there's a lot of pain and suffering and hurt in this world? It's not the way God made it to be. And only one day when our Lord Jesus returns will God set everything back in place. But the cry of the Christian heart is saying, God, in this world, with pain and suffering and cancer and disease and atrocities and famines and earthquakes and wars. God, in a world that rebels against you and defies you and does not live for your glory, God, would you change that? God, would you let your beautiful kingdom come on the earth? God, would you let your perfect will be done on the earth? 
that's like big cosmic stuff, but Lord Jesus, this heart in this chest, that God is so selfish and is so prideful and every day wakes up and the temptation is Johnny's glory, but say, no, not my glory, God, your glory. The temptation is my desires, no, not my desires, God, your desires. The temptation is my kingdom, the things that make me happy, no, God. Like prayer starts when my desire is that God would be glorified and God would be honored. And here are some beautiful promises from God's word for you. God made you that way. He created you for his glory. And one of my favorite quotes is St. Augustine. He said, you are heart, I was thinking of the wrong one, sorry. He said, our hearts are restless. You ever felt that restlessness? You feel like you can't find joy anywhere in this world because you weren't made to find it in this world. You feel like you can't find peace or satisfaction in the things of this earth. It's because you weren't made for that. And you will search and search and search, but the, the biblical reality is you will never find it in this planet because you weren't made for those things. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You know, I just read a quote this week that said, all prayer is the homesickness of the heart being expressed through our mouth. It's saying, I was made for you, God. I was made to know you. I was made to love you. I was made to honor you. And everything in this world goes against that. And prayer is setting myself in alignment for the reason I was created. And even our own sinful desires, our own flesh fights against that. And we're praying, God, like in me, start here with me and then let it overflow to the world. Let this heart honor you and magnify you and glorify you. Let your kingdom come and your will be done here. But here are two beautiful promises. Number one, God's glory is your greatest good. Like because you are made for God, because your heart was made to rest in Him only, it will be always restless apart from Him. That's the bad side, but it will be perfectly at rest in Him. Like when you come to know Jesus, it is perfect peace. Do you struggle with depression or anxiety or fear or worry? Like when you come to Jesus, He gives you perfect peace because His glory is your good. Many of us know the scripture. It's a beautiful promise. Romans 8, 28. That God works together, works all things together for the good of those who love Him. Everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, all the things we don't understand, God will work it together like a beautiful masterpiece. What are those things with the broken glass and they all come together? Mosaic. I can never remember that word. God takes the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it into a beautiful mosaic when you're living for His glory. But not only is his glory your greatest good, his glory is our and your greatest joy. You know, the lie of the snake in the garden was Adam and Eve, you'll be happier disobeying him than obeying him. Adam and Eve, you'll be happier with your kingdom than his kingdom. You'll be happier with your will over his will. And that's the lie of the enemy to us, that we think these things will make us happy. I just read a statistic that America is the most depressed, the most societal, the most addicted, people in human history. We have more money than anyone's ever had. We have more opportunities than anyone's ever had, but it's true. It's the scientific fact we're the most addicted, depressed, suicidal people has ever been on the planet because those things cannot satisfy us. God alone can satisfy us. And there's this beautiful reality that will free you. And I long for every human heart on this planet to know what Jesus said in John 15, 11. He goes, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you, but not just his supernatural joy in you, but that your joy may be full. Like what's God's will for you if you don't know Jesus? 
Like his desire, his prayer is that you would have this wild, crazy, over-the-top, extravagant, overflowing, exploding out of you joy. Anybody want that? Like I want that. But we cannot find that apart from God's glory. So his glory is our greatest good and it's our greatest joy. As we close, if you just close your eyes, when we pray, we remember that prayer is a blood-bought privilege from Jesus Christ, our Savior. That we realize, yes, God is holy. And yes, I cannot enter his presence apart from Christ. But Jesus shed his blood on that cross to wash us, to cleanse us, and to make a way for us to approach God in prayer. I want to read this over you. Please don't tune these words out. They're so powerful from the book of Hebrews. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, to come to God in prayer, by what? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, hear this today. Let us draw near, like come close to God. Come with your worries, come with your broken heart, come with whatever you need for his glory. Come with a true heart and full assurance of faith, knowing that our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus died so we could live to have abundant life and so that we could have that relationship with God restored. And what's prayer? It's communing again with our Heavenly Father. That what He created to be done in Eden in the beginning, we now have every morning, every day of our lives to commune with God by the blood of Jesus. And what people through the whole Testament couldn't do, we get to do on a daily basis. And just like Jesus, we get to have a never-ending conversation with our Heavenly Father. And there's no periods allowed, only commas, to pause and go to work and continue that conversation. Now, if you're here this morning, if you don't, have never given your life to Christ, can I tell you the greatest news in all the world is that Jesus loves sinners and he loves them so much that he died on a cross to save you from your sin, that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And one day we'll all face eternity, eternity in heaven or eternity separated from God in hell. And we can't get into heaven on our own. We need someone, someone who's perfect and sinless to die for us. And that's what Jesus did. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus did not just die. He rose again with power. And the reason we serve him and follow him is because he is the living God. He's alive. And if you're here this morning, you say, it's, it, I want to give my life to Christ today. Would you just raise your hand with every eye closed? Just raise your hand in this place. Amazing. I see those hands. Praise God. I see those hands. Come on, for some of you today, if you will put your faith in Jesus, he will change you, he'll transform you, but the best thing, he will give you eternal life. I just want to give one more moment. If there's anyone here, the Bible says today is the day of salvation, that Jesus wants to save you, to give you eternal life. There are hands all over this place. Praise God. Anybody else? Amen. Can we just give it up, church? I think that's the best thing to celebrate every week, people coming to know Jesus. We're just going to pray a prayer together as we place our faith in him. And we're all going to repeat this together so that nobody's singled out as we put our faith in Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died so I could live. Thank you that you are the perfect sacrifice, making a way for me to come to God.
I give you my life. You are my Lord and you are my God. Thank you that you are alive. My life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.